The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. All of the projections we reference during the show are available to our patrons before we record each week. Tier 2 and Tier 3 supporters also receive exclusive access to our 2020 FBS team profiles, which include daily updated player ratings, depth charts, and point spread projections, plus our team and player stat projections database. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge to learn more. Hello and welcome back, everybody. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports, and I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter, at CFP Winning Edge. Xavier, follow him on the Twitter, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter. And, uh, I mean, look, nobody needed, you know, nobody had to stay up late last night. There was nothing going on this week, so that's good. At, that's good. Everyone is just ready for Maction that starts in about an hour as we are recording this. That's the only important thing happening this week. Right, Nick? Uh, you know, apparently. Apparently. I, I uh, uh, have, have just had some unrelated, I think, trouble sleeping over the last uh, 24 hours. But yeah. uh, everything seems to be uh, pointed, you know, full steam ahead. College football week is here. The Mac is back and uh, uh, Pac-12 this week, you know, first time it's it's week one in week 10. It's it's really, really weird. I was trying to think about what it felt like this time last year when we reached double digits, you know, on the on the week count. And it kind of felt like things were winding down, thinking yeah. about uh, bowl matchups and, you know, the college football playoff and, and uh, of course, conference title races and everything. And, and uh, mm-hmm. we've got two conferences kicking off this week, which is it's it's really weird. But uh, as we've said, every time this has happened, uh, this is what the, the third late start we've, we've uh, experienced, maybe uh, that uh, more football is a, is a good thing. And, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm ready for a little bit of a distraction. Yeah, yeah, I think everyone's ready for a distraction, right, Xavier? I mean, uh, it is weird, but it's also, hey, look, this is old hat at this point. We've uh, we've seen all these conferences fire up, so we know what exactly what to expect. There'll be no surprises, right? I think this tweet sums up my feelings. It says, I don't care what your politics are. I don't care what your, relate, uh, what your relatives say on Facebook. I don't even care if you're not a fan of Chick-fil-A. But if you're not ready for Maxion tonight, we are not friends anymore. So, <laughs> I think that sums up how I feel right now. That's in this Red Bull that I'm going to be guzzling in the middle of this podcast. <laughs> but we've got Maxion and we've got Pac-12 this week. We've got all yeah, the football I, back. Yeah, I think it's something like uh, three days this month. There's not a football game on. Yeah. And one of them was yesterday. So mm-hmm. uh, we, we we burned that one already. So <laughs> we're all ready for the Maxion. We're all yeah. ready for uh, more football and, and, and by all the time you're stuff. listening to this, you know how the, uh, how all the know, action wins. The action, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so we're in the dark on the action, but we, we can look back uh, to week nine and uh, what stood out here. And uh, obviously Texas winning a huge game against Oklahoma state is uh forefront of everyone's mind, not just mine. Uh, I right. know that that's what everyone wants to talk about is, 
Uh, I mean, my cardiologist wants to talk to me about what's going on this weekend with uh, the Longhorns uh, going to a third overtime game and the Steelers taking to the last second to swat a pass down. I was uh, very on edge this weekend. So uh, then Kansas State, who was looking good, ran into a tough West Virginia matchup and lost. Uh, Clemson had to come back to beat Boston College with DJU. That's all I'm going to give it uh, right now. I'm, I'm practicing, but I'm not ready to debut it uh, on the podcast yet. I, I know Xavier over there mouthing it to me. I know what it is. I just I can't. Get it. <laughs> uh, Iowa State big over Kansas, 52 to 22 uh, in the pathetic bowl. Georgia over Kentucky, 14 to three. Not a lot of offense in that mm -hmm. one. I mean, uh, Xavier, I believed accused. Uh, uh, Xavier accused Nick of cursing Georgia State uh, as Coastal <laughs> Carolina beats them 51 zip. Uh, but it, it in something that I know will be bring a, a nice big grin to Xavier's face. Michigan goes down 27 24 <laughs> at home against Michigan, Michigan State. State. And in Harbaugh's tenure, they are one in three against Michigan State in the big house. That is a surprising number. Uh, Cincinnati dominates Memphis 49 to 10. Uh, Notre Dame beat Georgia Tech 31 to 13. Indiana over Rutgers 37 to 21. Air uh, Air Force loses to Boise State at home 49 to 30. Bama blanks Mississippi State yeah. 41 zip. So that was, I mean, the the outcome wasn't surprising, but Mississippi State putting up no points was. Uh, A&M did hold on to beat Arkansas 42 to 31 Florida over Missouri 41 17 Ohio State held off Penn State 38 25 Michigan 51 37 over Navy uh, Virginia beats North Carolina 44 to 41 Oklahoma big over Texas Tech 62 to 28 and the last ranked game of the week was BYU uh, 41 10 big over Western Kentucky so Nick your takeaways from week nine um, some crazy games for sure here, but uh, nothing that upset the apple cart wholly and completely. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, the, the biggest game of the week, the one we were all, I think, looking forward to the most other than Texas and Oklahoma State was of course. Uh, Ohio State and, and Penn State. And that one, uh, you know, it, it ended up relatively close. Ohio State did cover and, and Penn State was hanging around a bit, but uh, Ohio State, you know, seemed like they were pretty much in control of that game, which uh, was, uh, you know, I think relatively impressive. Of course, Penn State being 0-2, it, it doesn't look as strong right now, but I was impressed with what I saw from Ohio State. I think they looked actually better uh, in this game than they did uh, for the most part against Nebraska, which was, of course, a much uh, bigger blowout, you know, as, as in terms of a final score. Clemson, obviously, you know, without Trevor Lawrence, this time last week when we were talking, we didn't know that Trevor Lawrence was going to be out in this game. And, and so uh, things obviously completely changed. Uh, they, they struggled a little bit out of the gate. Boston College looked good. Uh, our numbers have been on Boston College a lot this year. So, you know, it was a bit of a weird feeling because, uh, unfortunately, you know, on, on Wednesdays is when uh, we release our official projections and, and Clemson had built up such uh, good numbers as far as team performance and, and things like that, that we actually had Clemson 
to cover the 31 or whatever it was at the time, but uh, found out that Lawrence was, wasn't going to play a true freshman uh, DJ. Uyelongo Lele, uh, my, yes. best, my best effort at it. Yes, uh, And I'm sure, uh, you know, I'll, it'll, it'll get better uh, from here on, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, obviously one of the most talented quarterbacks in the most recent class, a, a solid number two, if not number one quarterback prospect uh, as far as two, four, seven sports and all the, uh, other recruiting services are concerned, a future star, I would say. But, uh, you know, put up some good numbers. But Clemson as a whole took a little while to get going, but they were able to find a way to win. And I think, you know, really are in a good position now. And, and I thought it was good that Davos Winnie came out immediately after the game and said Trevor Lawrence would not play against Notre Dame. So thankfully, we don't have to talk about that all week or, or yeah. others talk about that all week. Uh, and, and it also, oddly enough, uh, sets it up to where Clemson, I think, has a little bit of an out if things don't go well this week, if Notre Dame finds a way to pull off an upset, which it still would be an upset. Um, you know, they, they can kind of say, oh, well, obviously, you know, we didn't have our Heisman caliber quarterback, so that one loss shouldn't cost us. So Clemson, I think, at this point kind of has a, a bit of a, a gimme uh, available even if they were to lose this game i think they're still in a, a really strong position uh so you know th- those were the the biggest impact games the one being the uh big e- you know big 10 east sort of uh front runners uh, in the preseason as far as our numbers were concerned at least and then clemson being able to avoid uh, potential disaster with without their star quarterback but uh you know some upsets were uh, you know obviously we learned some things about Oklahoma State maybe uh, Michigan looked really really good against Minnesota Minnesota of course uh, now zero and two after a, a really really embarrassing loss uh, to Maryland uh, so you know Michigan I feel like I know less now than I did this time last week North Carolina suffered another upset loss uh, surprisingly so in in some cases I feel like I learned. Uh, or, or I have a, a maybe a, a less firm grasp, a grasp on some teams, teams like that, than I did, uh, than I felt I did a week ago. But you know, <laughs> on the other hand, I feel like uh, you know Clemson. We know, hey, they can win even without uh, their their very best player, arguably the best player in college football. Ohio State is still, you know. The, the basically the Clemson of the Big Ten at this point. Uh, it's it's Ohio State and everybody else. So uh, those those were my biggest takeaways, uh, I think, for this week. Xavier, uh, obviously a lot coming up this week, but before we get to that, we got to reflect on last week and what was the uh, the biggest showing to you? And give me the name one time. I'll get it after this. Get, DJ. We I go a little bit. Ooh, no, that, that was a butcher for me. I, Nick sounded much better. Nick sounded great, and he's muted now. I, yeah, there's Nick, a there's a uh, there's a, a si- what's the opposite of a silent letter? Uh, so so uh, <laughs> there, there's a there's a, a letter where the sound is there, but the letter's not. There's an there's it, it's a, uh, there's it's, an N. It's ends the, well. It's the same thing with Tonga Viola. There's no right, N right, in there. Right. So Yulongalalehi is that how you say it? Ooh, no, no, he. Ulanga lay. No, no, lay. Ulanga lay. Ulanga lay. Yes. All right. I think I'm thinking of Trailer Park Boys with uh, Leahy. So, uh, Ulanga lay. Okay, I got it. 
We're getting uh, We're making progress. Yeah, well, we're, we're time. We we're have time. to. We'll get it by the time he wins the Heisman in 2020. <laughs> yeah, yeah fair enough. 2021, yeah, for sure. Uh, it'll be probably a front runner. He looked pretty good. So your thoughts on week nine, Xavier? So week nine for me was a weird week. I I, I thought Texas would, Texas would be Oklahoma State. We talked about that on the podcast. Uh, I thought Ohio State would look better against Penn State than what I originally thought. I thought they might run away with it. Um, I think the one positive you do take away as an Ohio State fan in that game is that they were able to run the football against a pretty good front seven, probably the best front seven, maybe outside of Michigan talent-wise that they'll see all year. Uh, Michigan losing to Michigan State. That not only makes Harbaugh one and three against Michigan State, that makes him one and six against Michigan State and Ohio State at this point. He's looking like the Mark Richt of the Big Ten. You've got to beat your rivals or you won't be at a university too long. Uh, so that, that's got to be concerning there. A huge takeaway for me this week was Cincinnati. They stomped Memphis into the ground, 49 to 10. Um, you know, uh, Desmond Ritter, that defense, they look great. And, and and we talked about it last week, how I felt like they had turned the corner offensively. And they really showed in, in that game that maybe that was the case um, and that they, they might be able to make some noise here and become a viable G5 option um, if you're looking for one right now in the uh, in college football. Another takeaway for me staying in G5 is the continual, like, domination of BYU. At this point, who's going to get in their way? I'm so, Obviously, we'll, probably, we'll talk about their game against uh, Boise State, which is on Friday. That's going to be a massive game on what um, where they finish this year's season. But right now, they are one of my favorite teams to watch, and it looks like nobody, absolutely nobody is stopping them um, except for themselves. And I think lastly, I'll, I'll, I'll leave on a positive note for the Big 12. I think that we saw Oklahoma and Texas finally play like Oklahoma and Texas are supposed to. I think Texas, in their right, talent-wise, they showed that they can hang with any team in the country, especially one that's ranked so highly as Oklahoma State. They never allowed Oklahoma State to get too far away from them. That was something that I thought was really good from them all game. They kept themselves within striking distance. They didn't have to pull some miraculous, you know, onside kick, onside kick, two touchdowns in a minute and 30 seconds. Just a normal overtime. Yeah, you know, just a a normal game where you're within seven and you continue to go back and forth. And from Oklahoma, it's about time. Spencer Rattler looked like the Spencer Rattler we thought he would from day one, 21 of 30. What did I say? You keep a quarterback who's a freshman underneath 30 pass attempts a game, you will be okay. 288 yards, two touchdowns. They look like they're finding a running game. Uh, In a a game where Texas Tech has given them issues in the last couple of years, it's definitely been a team that has been a headache for them. Uh, So – I will, uh, so, but them playing better. This is, you guys, if you want to know what the emoji version of this is from Xavier, it's Deuces Big 12 from the playoff. So, yeah, oh, uh, yeah. That, <laughs> yeah, this is a very, very nice way of saying that the Big 12 will not be in the playoff. But I do appreciate that. I will uh, say, I will say, go one ahead. More thing. it might be time for a quarterback change in Georgia. I know that they won this week. Yeah, I understand that they won 14 to three. But another pedestrian performance from Stetson Bennett. At this point, he is no better than Grayson Lambert was, in my opinion. Uh, I, I think that we're looking at him at Grayson Lambert part two, where if the defense doesn't show up for a half, we might be looking at a, you know we're looking at a similar situation. Um, and if the opponent just doesn't stop playing, like Kentucky, what was Kentucky doing? That might have been the quarter. weirdest fourth quarter I've they ever were, seen. They were just like, you know what, we're we're just going to cover. 
great great the, teams the, cover. So that's just all we're concerned about. Uh, we don't the, need to win. Yeah, we just need that was to, so weird. Just the different team with Terry Wilson under center, I think. You know, that was know. also weird because well, the play calling I, wasn't even. It was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think Joey Gatewood has more upside than Same. Terry Wilson. I, I think I'm uh, on record for whatever reason. My my. Uh, best known take is that I'm just not a big believer in Terry Wilson, but uh, the, the, it, it was just, it was very odd. And obviously Kentucky did not trust Joey Gatewood to throw the football. And, and you know, maybe there's a, a reason for that, but uh, I don't know. It was odd. We don't have to spend too much time on that game, but uh, I'm sure Georgia will come up later in the show and, and maybe it'll come up more. One more thing <laughs> I want to hit before we move on and we don't have to dwell on it. Like you just said, Nick, but, how bad is LSU? I mean, LSU oh, yeah. getting pounded 48 to 11 by Auburn. You know, we usually just go over the top 25 games, but LSU might be the worst returning champion uh, I've ever seen in my life. They look terrible this year. Yeah, yeah. And, and Xavier shared with us that uh, SEC shorts video that kind of, <laughs> yeah. you know, hit home pretty well on, on uh, that uh, assessment for, for LSU. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, Miles Brennan was out that I think had an impact, at least offensively. He was. he was. And, and TJ Finley looked good, but when you're starting a true freshman, you know, some weeks can be good and, and some weeks can be very, very different. So I think that played a role a little bit, but the, the defense obviously is still an issue. And, uh, you know, Bo Nix, Bo Nix looked pretty good, which is not, uh, something we've said very often this year. We, we've said it at times, but uh, yeah, LSU, it, it was ugly. It, it was absolutely, you know, and, and the final score just sort of jumps out at you if, if you uh, were tuned into other things or uh, didn't play super close attention. That one really got away from LSU, and it was a little bit of a surprise. Every, every time I look back at the score, I'm like, oh, wow, 48-11, jeez. Uh, so it's it's uh, not not a good showing, and, and absolutely uh, they are are really really struggling as a defending champion, as you said. Uh, all right. Well, how did the bets go for this week? Uh, the numbers were were pretty good. I mean, la- last week we talked about how we had some uh, very fortunate endings to games that made our week a little better. Maybe that it could have been we were lucky in a lot of instances this week it was you know we know that things have a way of evening out this week we had some fairly unlucky bounces that could have been a a really really good week uh but instead was just a a, a modest week we were 500 against the spread in, in all games 21 21 and one uh our totals were were absolutely red hot on totals and it's not sustainable in any way i've talked about the deficiency we have with the uh the the stat projection model where we we, the the tails are weird where we were not we're never going to go on an over on a high number we're never going to go on an under on a low number and we should uh but we're hitting everything in the middle at a, a pretty incredible rate we were 30 12 and 1 on totals last week. Uh, so we're at 60% for the year on total. So th- those have saved our numbers yeah. overall and, and, you know, overall doing, doing very well. And a lot of that we have to, to thank, you know, maybe a little bit of beginner's luck with uh, our statistical projections as far as our uh, game totals go, but overall solid week 51, 43 and two. We'll absolutely take that every week. Uh, but, 
you know, some of the, the numbers that we care a little bit more about the against the spread was 500. Our uh, stats only model against the spread was 20, 22 and one. So basically 500. Uh, and then the talent edges, 21, 21 and one. So it's, it's a fairly unremarkable week aside from a couple of unlucky bounces against the spread and then uh, just absolutely running red hot on totals. Yeah. Love that. Hey, that's going to even out by the way. That's, yeah. Well, that's, hey. that's not gonna, that is not sustainable. But so, take the big don't. week. We'll, we'll, we'll take the big week. <laughs> we'll take we'll, it. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll absolutely. We'll take it. So uh, w- one more thing I want to ask you about, and I don't know uh, how much this really changes lines for you or for a lot of people, but I saw it have somewhat of a decent size effect in the NFL this week. Um, the uh, the weather cooling down and, uh, you know, obviously uh, we had high winds in that uh, Vegas at Cleveland game this weekend. Is that Ooh. something that you take in effect a ton? I mean, I know it has to be fairly extreme weather to push not only the line, but the total as well. Uh, so do you just look for major weather events and things like that? Or do you uh, slide a little bit uh, of anything with the weather? So our models that and, and all the projections that we talk about here and, and all the uh, projections that our, our patrons see uh, actually don't factor weather in at all. Okay. Um, so they don't they don't factor in style of play. They don't factor in uh, you know it's it's very basic, and that's partly by why I always say like, hey, we're running red hot, but <laughs> you know, right, right. It's, it, we're overachieving here because. Uh, right now, it's not very sophisticated. I would like to eventually get to a point where we can incorporate some of those things. I do track weather. We do have a database uh, in our FBS team profiles where we track every line, all of our results, you know, talent edges, scoring margin, uh, official, all that. And as part of that, I do uh, track the temperature during the game, whether there's heavy, you know, uh, rain or uh, snow or, you know, high winds. Wind is, of course, uh, the The biggest. And so if, if wind is above, you know, 17, 18 miles an hour, I will make a special note. That's really sort of anecdotally where I see uh, a, 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 a real impact. Uh, there's a sort of narrative around rain where if you hear like, oh yeah, it's going to be stormy. It's going to be rainy, uh, bet the under, bet the under. And, and you know, there, there's a little bit of a reason for that, but also rain is not the same as wind and rain right. can uh, lead to, you know, players slipping easier touchdowns as a result and, and things yeah, like that. Yeah, Rain but, can really go both ways, but wind yeah, is the one that but wind's the push. one to watch and, and yeah. cold weather cold weather and this is the type of year for that so i I track it all i've been tracking it the last three years i don't feel like i i personally have a big enough database to read too much into it i know that there are people uh smarter and more sophisticated than me that have gone historically back farther than that and track wind and weather and, and all that uh personally i i you know it's it's difficult because it's always a little bit of a a uh, small sample, like if you say, oh, this has happened X amount of times in the snow the last however long, and, and you need it's less 10, than 20 a half years. A percent. Yeah. Sure. And, and you need a, a, a long, uh, you know, so many years. I've sort of found just in my own working through the model and, and learning about 
you know, how our model works and, and where it can be improved. I don't, I don't pay too much attention. Five years is what uh, our statistical model uses. It uses five mm-hmm. years worth of team data, uh, five years worth of coaches data. And, and really that year four and five is, is weighted pretty low. I mean, we do a five-year weighted average and a three-year weighted average and then heavily uh, weight the most recent year more than anything. So uh, it, it's, it's um, weather does have an, an effect. Home field advantage has an effect. Uh, you know, travel has an effect. All, all of these things have, have uh, an effect and I haven't necessarily figured out maybe the best way other than just a, uh, a you know, a simple home field advantage, uh, a, you know, a, a point a waiting right. for, for that. But weather is something that intrigues me and tra- travel intrigues me. It's something I do track and it's something I know has an impact. I just personally in, in the numbers that we uh, put out have not uh, really dug into it enough to feel confident that it's going to uh, improve our, our model. That makes yeah. Sense. I mean, it's like 90% of weather games don't see a drastic shift one way or the other. So it's, you know, you get a 10% shift during those weather games and then you have a limited amount of weather games anyway. I don't know. I think they'll, uh, I think most of the, the, the next when the next group of stadiums being made probably all going to have, uh, you know, at least a retractable roof. So, uh, so that the weather can't, uh, start affecting them. So I think, I think it's some ways because it's one of those situations where people maybe know just enough to, for it to be dangerous. I think that it's a scenario where, and, and this is purely anecdotal and there are people who, again, who are smarter than me, more sophisticated than me that might have some hard data on this, but I think there are certain things like weather where people think, "Oh yeah, there, there's an impact." So they kind of uh, they almost outsmart themselves and give right, too right. much weight to it. So I think, in a way, us basically ignoring it right now in, in our official numbers, uh, we might get us just a very slight benefit from kind of taking the dummy approach of of just you know letting other people maybe. Uh, outsmart themselves and move the market to where we kind of see a little bit of a benefit. If that makes sense. I don't know. I don't know. If no, it, makes sense that, <laughs> it makes sense. I didn't, um, uh, but I did the opposite uh, this week. And I said, I don't think that I think we're still going to get the over in the Cleveland Vegas game. Now the, the wind was much more severe than even projected. It was projected mm-hmm. to be, you know, steady around 15 miles per hour gust up to 25. And it was steady at just over 20 gust up to 50. Yeah. So that, anything I mean, that, can happen that screwed once. the whole thing. Right. Yeah. So, so um, yeah. So I, I just wanted to, because we're getting in that time of year mm-hmm. to just throw that question no. out. It's just, definitely uh, something to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sure. And I don't see any crazy. I mean, I see a little bit of weather in this weekend's games. It looks like at USC, ASU, they may have a little bit of rain, but for the most part, it's mainly clear skies and uh, somewhat, uh, you know, moderate temperatures. looks like maybe some rain at, Arizona, Utah, Western Kentucky at FAU. So uh, not much on this uh, on this board. So uh, it should be a fairly easy weather week, it looks like, this week. But uh, let's dive in to the Week 10 games. So uh, I'll start out this week. And uh, look, 
let's go with Clemson and Notre Dame. You have to start with that game. That has to be the game that we talk about with uh, DJ Ulungale. Is that it? I think the way I've come to it in my mind, and there are videos out and stuff that, <laughs> that people have, uh, like his dad led a group of Clemson fans, and there's all right, like, yeah, anyway. I'm gonna watch the dad, yeah, you watch, watch those, but I think his sister have one too, was she pretty? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I think there's there's definitely there are a few I've seen, but I think it's the way I've, I've figured it in my mind, and it might be 100, it might not be 100 perfect, but I think it's Ui Angalale, Ui Angalale. That's how I'm going with it for now. Lungalale. Okay. Uh, But Clemson is at Notre Dame, led by DJ. Uh, No Trevor Lawrence this week. 7-0 Clemson, 6-0 Notre Dame. The line on this is uh, Clemson by 6. The over is 52, Nick. How do you see that one going? Uh, So this this one's very interesting. And... Obviously, it's it's the primetime matchup. It's the one everybody's going to be watching, looking forward to all day. But this is a situation where our way of doing things, our, our model, uh, because we do take uh, injuries, we do take uh, roster moves, personnel moves, things like that into account. This is the type of game that hopefully, in theory, we will know a little bit more than somebody who doesn't dig down quite that deep. When Trevor Lawrence, a maximum rated player, uh, arguably the best player in college football, if not, you know, certainly in the top two or three, uh, when he is out, even if he's replaced with another five-star rocket arm guy built like, you know, he came out of a factory quarterback, uh, there's a drop-off. And so our numbers do capture that a little bit where, you know, a lot of the the really great models out there maybe don't if they're only looking at play data uh, or, or, you know, historical data, things like that. So uh, we do see a little bit of of tightening in in the line. I mean, leading up to this game, uh, basically all year. The, the number has tightened a little bit because our model does really respect Notre Dame. It respects uh, specifically uh, how well they have played defensively from a team performance standpoint. They've been a top five defense all year for us, and that has not changed. They are talented enough with a uh, high enough rated senior quarterback, a guy who's experienced, who's had some production uh, in his background that's helped him, you know, build a pretty solid player rating in our model uh, that, that Notre Dame really doesn't have any weak spots. And then Clemson right now, you know, we wouldn't say that, that DJ Uyongale is a weak spot necessarily, but he's a 15 point drop off from Trevor Lawrence. And, and so that does have an impact. Uh, Clemson is, playing just as well defensively, if not better. Uh, they have, uh, even without multiple starters that, that they expected to have this year on the defensive line through injuries, through uh, other situations, one of the best defensive lines that we've seen on the field this year. Uh, they, they've been really, really good, really solid defensively. Uh, but they're, they're thin. They've got, you know, five – starters uh one two three four five yeah five five guys who were returning starters who were listed on our injury report section of our team profiles on defense uh you know we haven't seen tyler davis we haven't seen justin foster 
Xavier, uh, Xavier Thomas uh, has been in and out of the lineup a little bit. He's got a targeting suspension, so uh, he's out for the first half of this game for sure. James Sklaski, the the top linebacker that they've got, is has been out for uh, a little while. Uh, Darren Kendrick, the corner, has been banged up a bit. So, you know, not only is Trevor Lawrence not going to be playing in this game, but defensively, as good as they have been, uh, not only have they not, you know, been challenged by somebody as talented as as Notre Dame so far, and I would say that Notre Dame is clearly more talented than Miami, being the, the next closest uh, opponent, you know, this is a pretty tight game. Our, our official projection has it as uh, Clemson still favored, but by three and a half. We do have Clemson still uh, with a, a talent edge, but because Trevor Lawrence isn't there, it's even uh, smaller. It's about one and a half points. Uh, the model that does not take into account uh, Trevor Lawrence being out is where we see probably what we would have expected a couple of weeks ago, where Clemson is basically a 10-point favorite. So with the line being, at least officially when we released it to our patrons earlier today, uh, Clemson favored by five and a half. We see a little bit of value in our model on on Notre Dame, uh, not only with the the official projection, but the talent edge as well. So if we really do take Trevor Lawrence being out of this game into account, we see some value on Notre Dame here. I I mean, it, that's tough to hear uh, because I don't I just don't think Notre Dame is nearly as good as their ranking. Uh, but there's a lot of injuries on Clemson's side. Like I will say, I feel like we're slightly high on Notre Dame. Okay. I will say All right. they're, they're our, uh, they are our, our fourth ranked team. They do stack up pretty well from a talent standpoint. As I, as I mentioned, they are, uh, let's see here. They uh, are the seventh uh, most talented offense in the country. According to our numbers, the eighth uh, most talented defense in the country. So that gives you the sixth uh, highest, you know, they rank sixth in roster strength. Uh, that's our recruiting metric that is, uh, you know, uses experience and production uh, to, to sort of weight those uh, recruiting ratings. So it's not just the two, four, seven, uh, you know, how that stacks up, but it is uh, based on uh, some other factors as well. But because of that, and because they played really well in a lot of advanced metrics that we look at, uh, but they played a pretty weak schedule. And so I, I, I am a little bit nervous about that. I think their team performance rating might be slightly inflated. And I think, you know, there are some, some maybe depth issues. Uh, but, you know, even if I think Notre Dame is maybe slightly overrated, maybe they should be sixth or seventh, not fourth. Uh, right. You know, I, I still, still really feel like we have a, a decent read on Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah, and and look, I I think they're they're a very good team. I'm not trying to take away anything from Notre Dame. I just uh, you know the the thought process is well, Notre Dame hasn't played anybody great, but I don't know that Clemson has either. So uh, Xavier, your thoughts on this uh, Notre Dame Clemson matchup, Sands Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, Notre Dame is probably the team I have the biggest question mark on in the country right now for me. Uh, I really have no clue how good this football team is. Uh, they have put out amazing performances like last week. 
Uh, and the week before that, they also have had really head-scratching performances like the game against Louisville where they were only very able to muster up 12 points against a defense that has been pretty average to below average all year. I don't know if I trust Ian Book yet. He hasn't given me he hasn't given me reason to say not yet, but he hasn't given me any reason to be like, he finally showed me that he can lead a team to a national championship. And that's the biggest issue with me in Notre Dame right now is I don't know I, – when, I, when I judge a team as highly ranked as Notre Dame, I judge them around the rest of the country. And I don't know how good they are when I look at them against, uh, you know, a Clemson, a Ohio State, a Georgia, an Alabama. I don't know yet. And going into this game, if Clemson did have Trevor Lawrence, I'd be talking about 10, 15, 17-point win. Uh, really, like – what happened against Miami where I thought Clemson just would be just too talented for Miami and they would run away with it with Trevor Lawrence out of the game. I, I think Notre Dame can keep this one close. I don't know if they'll be able to cover. Uh, I don't, I think three and a half is still a little bit too close for comfort for me, but within a touchdown, I think is very well possible. Uh, I think DJ last week showed that he can throw the football, but he's going to struggle but he's going to struggle against the Notre Dame defense who's going to show him a ton of looks. Uh, and they're going to really make it difficult for him to read one, two, and three. It's going to have to be a really big game for Travis Etienne. And I don't know how well they're going to be able to run the football. They struggled last week at times against Boston College. Uh, and they have struggled at times this year to, to get the running game started really quickly. And they've kind of had to work through it as the game has progressed. I've got Clemson by seven. I think they win this game and continue to stay undefeated. Uh, I think this. I think if Notre Dame loses this game by more than seven, it really hurts their chances of making any kind of claim for the college football playoff. Uh, because one would think that if they lose a game without Trevor Lawrence by ten plus, that the game with Trevor Lawrence would be worse. So Notre Dame knows their season is on the line here. So I expect them to come out and play better. Uh, this is a really big game for me and Ian Book because he has yet to win that game for me. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And so I think Notre Dame will come out trying to fire on all cylinders. I think Clemson will come out better than they did last week against Boston College. I think they were overlooking them a tad bit and looking ahead to this week possibly, uh, which is what might uh, be the reason for the slow, for the slow start, obviously. Uh, but I th- I like Clemson by seven. Uh, I think – I will say this. This will be my only caveat. If this game was in a regular year uh, – this game is in South Bend, correct? Uh, yes, yes. Yes. If this game was in a regular year, I think I might side with Notre Dame. Uh, I just think without the fans, I think without, you know, I think that that's going to take away some of that home field advantage, especially with having a backup quarterback going in the South Bend. If it was a full crowd, oh, I would absolutely have Notre Dame in this ball game. I think that would shake him and rattle him. I think without the full crowd, it'll allow him to play his game a little bit more and they'll be able to keep him calm at times when the game doesn't go his way. So I got Clemson by seven. That's a great point to make is that, you know, you have a, uh, a guy starting his second game in college football, very, very young and going up against Notre Dame where I think there'll be stand, there'll be fans in the stand still, uh, but a quarter of the attendance or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A quarter of, you know, Notre Dame fans though can feel like half of any other stadium, I'm sure. So, uh, going to be rowdy, uh, even with a quarter in there, but that's a great, that's a great point to make Xavier. I like that. Uh, and you're up. What game do you want to talk about for this week first? Come on, guys. You know what game I'm talking about. The world's largest cocktail party down in Jacksonville, Florida. We're going to be seeing Georgia take on the socially distanced title. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Jacksonville. I don't know about that one. Uh, I really like this game from a, from a couple of perspectives. 
for me, once again, this is another year on can Florida do two things? Can they run the football and can they stop the run? They've struggled doing both this year at times. It really hurt them in the game against Texas A&M. It's what kept Texas A&M in the game. It also was what allowed Texas A&M to put the game away. That is going to be what, in my opinion, what changes this game. If Georgia can run the football effectively, like they did last week, like they did against Tennessee earlier this year, obviously in the second half, and like they did against Alabama in the first half, that is going to be what changes this game. If this game has to be put on the arm of Stetson Bennett, I got Florida. I'm sorry. I don't trust him. He is not a person that has shown me that he can make big throws consistently. He'll show flashes, but flashes is not going to be the Florida team that offensively is probably the second best. It, it will probably be the second best offensive team we've played all year. Kyle Trask, Darius Toney, Kyle Pitts. These are athletes. They have them all over the field. I'm not even naming some of the receivers that they have that are also going to give us trouble. It's really going to be on whether or not Florida can win the short downs on third and two, third and three for them offensively and defensively. If they can, this is a game that they can keep close and they can allow their offense to do what it needs to do. If not, Georgia will run away with this ball game. Uh, they're gonna, because my feeling is that Georgia's game plan coming into this game is to keep Kyle Trask off the field. I think they're going to want to run the ball heavily, keep the possession, uh, the number of the number of possessions for him at a premium, and make Florida's offense be great every single time they go out because their defense isn't getting enough stops. I've got Georgia in a very close ball game. I think this is another one of those classics. 23, uh, 27, 23 is what I have Georgia winning by, but it's going to be really, it's going to come down to the trenches once again for Florida if they're going to win this ball game. Uh, so yeah, I got Georgia 27, 23 in a really tight one. I mean, this is going to be a great game, Nick. I'm really looking forward to this one. I don't know though. I feel like I, and I, I know I don't want to do this in front of the biggest Georgia fan I know in Xavier, but I feel yeah. like, I feel like Florida is going to win this game. Uh, I, I, and I just, I just think they have a little bit more on offense. You're losing LeCount from that defense for uh, Georgia this week after his automobile accident and a potential change at quarterback, especially if Bennett isn't working the first uh, couple quarters, if they don't change him before the game uh, is going to be, it's just going to be rough and it might take the wind out of the sails of this Georgia squad. But you know, Florida is uh, Florida. It can run away with this game and I would not, be surprised to see them get stomped either that's just kind of the wild swings we see from the gators so far this year nick what do you how do you see it playing out so uh so this game is uh kind of kind of fun for me when this happens because it's you know the game of the week or, or the co-game of the week and i kind of like it sometimes when our model sees absolutely no value whatsoever because then I can just sit back and enjoy the game <laughs> and not not really care uh, what happens unless I have some other rooting interest. But uh, this is that type of game, and, and unfortunately, uh, you know, if, if somebody out there is listening, hoping that our number C and edge on either Georgia or Florida, it's it's just not there. And it's all three models are incredibly consistent. I mean, the the official line is Georgia by three. Our uh, stats only model has Georgia by uh, two and a quarter, basically. Talent edge, uh, it has Georgia by uh, three and three quarters. So, you know, less than four there. And in our official projection is Georgia by uh, 2.75. So we're technically on Florida, but, eh, you know, it's, it's percentage points. Uh, I will say uh, 
if I if I had to be on one side or the other, and technically we are, we do take a position on on every single game officially. Uh, I, I'm kind of glad that it's on the Florida side. I could certainly see Georgia winning this game in a variety of scenarios, but I agree with Xavier that Stetson Bennett might not be the quarterback that's going to you know put Georgia in its uh, best position and and usually. And a matchup is as evenly matched as uh, Florida, a team as talented as Florida, even though they've had some trouble uh, defensively. You know, this is this is the most talented defense uh, that Georgia has played with the possible exception of Alabama. But Florida's I mean, defensively, we, you know, I, I think that an argument can be made there that Florida, uh, you know, it, it's not completely. Uh, you know, lopsided in Alabama's favor in, in that case. But anyway, that plus the fact that Georgia has had so many injuries. Uh, Scott, you brought up uh, Richard the Count, the, the All-American candidate, is going to be out this game. Uh, Jordan Davis, who is a special, special uh, nose tackle for Georgia, it sounds like a lot of the comments that Kirby Smart has made sounds like he might be available for this game, but he was knocked out of last week's game against Kentucky, was on the sidelines with his arm in a sling. You know, he might play, but it doesn't really – that doesn't read like a situation to me where he's going to be able to play enough snaps in a pretty pivotal spot to, uh, you know, really be able to wreck that Florida offensive line as, as you would hope that he would. And then there's depth issues as well. Quay Walker, linebacker is banged up. Uh, DJ Daniels had uh, an ankle injury that's bothered him. Louis seen at, at safety. So, you know, there, there are situations, George Pickens, George Pickens hasn't played in, in a little bit. He's been uh, dinged up and, and missed the last game. So uh, we don't know yet if he'll be back. And, you know, depth has been uh, something that Georgia's had to deal with from an injury standpoint all year. Florida is not perfectly healthy. Florida has, you know, Zachary Carter's out with the targeting uh, in, in the first half. Last game they had four uh, major contributors, and two, including three guys uh, who are starters now in the secondary who were out uh, for an unspecified reason, and, and we're guessing it's related to the uh, COVID flare-up that they had a, a few weeks ago. But, um, yeah, Florida's not at full strength, but they, they seem like they're a little bit healthier to me uh, right now coming into this game than Georgia is. So, uh, you know, that coupled with – uh, we've seen how good of a playmaker uh, Kadarius Tony is. We see how a special uh, of a weapon Kyle Pitts is. Kyle Trask is, even though I'm not the, the biggest Kyle Trask fan, I think you know nobody's going to argue that he's uh, a worse quarterback than, than Stetson Bennett. You know, the, so Florida has a clear edge at the quarterback position there, and and so I think you know if you're just ticking down the boxes. Uh, of each, you know, matchup, Florida comes out ahead in a lot. So uh, I think that this is a very evenly matched game. I think that the market, that the odds makers, you know, have this pegged right. You know, it's certainly in line with all of our numbers. Uh, but having to choose a side, I'm, I'm, I'm glad, I guess, that officially we're on the Florida side when it comes to did we get it right, did we get it wrong. Uh, all right, you're up. Your turn. Your turn to pick a game. What are you going with, Nick? So I think the most excited game, or the, the most excited I am for a game this week, oddly enough, is BYU at Boise State on Friday night. Uh, 
That's so I'm one. I'm hoping I will be able to stay up late enough to watch this game because uh, I, I might, you know, whenever I go to sleep tonight, I might sleep through <laughs> uh, the next two days. But uh, the line really- here real quick is BYU by two and a half, 59 and a half is the over. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm really, really excited for this game. BYU is someone that, uh, you know, is a team that has been on – my mind uh, a lot this year because they came out and have been so dominant compared to where our numbers, uh, excuse me, uh, projected they would be in the preseason. Uh, we we thought you know BYU would be pretty good, but we did not expect them to be a top ten team. And and this is oddly enough a scenario where BYU, uh, you know, a lot of times you look at okay a, a team that's not a power five team. Yeah, they're number nine in the AP poll. They're they're so overrated. They're not really the best, you know, the ninth best team in the country. They're they're probably maybe a top twenty five team. BYU has played so well from a team performance standpoint. They've had so many good performances week in and week out from Zach Wilson at the quarterback position. They have climbed up our power rankings. I mean, just a huge amount this year. They are 11th in our power rankings, which to me for a non-Power 5 team is uh, very, very impressive. I spent a lot of time in the preseason and the summer talking about how UCF, I was so blown away that UCF was 15th, 16th uh, in our uh, rankings. Well, BYU right now is better than we thought UCF was going to be, and I thought UCF was going to be really, really good. Been a little disappointed in them. They're off this week. We'll talk about them later. But uh, BYU – has been on the field. They, they haven't played the toughest competition, which is why this week is, I think, so interesting. But on the field, they have played not only like a top 10 team, they played like a top three team in yeah. team performance rating. So uh, I, I, I am very excited for them to now go up against a team that matches up better. And I'm also kind of excited to not just blindly know before I even run the numbers that we're going to be against BYU uh, because they finally have caught up so much in, in our power rankings. We were actually on BYU, uh, what, two weeks ago for the first time all, all year. So uh feel, feel okay about that. But Boise State is a very interesting matchup because, you know, they've only played two games. They performed really, really well in those games. They've been a top 10, you know, as far as team performance goes, their offense has been, you know, top five. Uh, it's a very small sample and not great competition, but against Utah State and, and Air Force, they played extremely well. And then I guess I should take it maybe as a really good sign that uh, they did as well against Air Force last week without their starting quarterback, Hank Bachmeyer, missed that game. They started Jack Sears, the USC transfer. So, uh, you know, we don't know who's going to start here. Oddly enough, through kind of the, the sometimes, I mean, we think we get it right 99.5% uh, of the time, but there are some fluky situations sometimes, especially with a transfer quarterback. Uh, Jack Sears is actually the higher rated player in our, our model, the way our calculations go. So, uh, oddly enough, Boise State, if they went with Sears, uh, our our number would be a little bit uh, higher on Boise State than they would be if, if we knew that Bachmeyer was going to be the starter. So, uh, you know, Boise State is not at full health. George Lani, the running back, has been banged up. Uh, they are very, very thin at the running back position. They've got some playmakers at receiver who've been very good. They've got some guys in the secondary that are very good. 
they will be the best defense, I think, uh, that, that BYU has played this year, probably from a talent standpoint, in addition to uh, just how it works out on the field as well. So this is going to be a real test for BYU. It looked like Houston was going to be, you know, the, the, the big test and it was close early on and BYU just kind of uh, flexed its muscle and, and eventually uh, wore down Houston. I don't know if I see that necessarily uh, them being able to do that to Boise State. It, it's going to be it's going to be a trickier situation for BYU, and and they these teams are relatively evenly matched matched well enough to the point where uh, Boise State, believe it or not, is about a half point favorite according to our model. So officially, we think that the the wrong team is favored here. I personally would probably make BYU a slight favorite. I think the number is, uh, you know, basically right. That's It's probably what I would have uh, selected if, if I were just doing it purely based on opinion. BYU being a three-point favorite seems about right to me. Our number sees a, a little bit of value there. We see uh, Boise State, you know, uh, they do get a little bit of home field advantage here. Uh, we, we think that they have what it takes potentially to win this game from a talent edge perspective. BYU is the more talented team, but it's only by two points. Uh, and then our stats only model actually has Boise State by two points. So uh, we're on Boise State. It, it's a fairly clear. It's, of course, a very small margin uh, with them only being a, a three-point underdog. But we think that Boise State can pull this out. And, and our final score projections, actually, the Broncos uh, getting a win 28-27 at home over BYU would be huge because BYU is kind of always on the periphery of the conversation. Uh, you know, oh, so-and-so in, in the playoff and the Big 12's out. Well, what about BYU? They've been so good. They just haven't played anybody. Uh, well, Boise State, you know, it, it, it's somebody. at least – it is, in a way, and at least they're ranked this week. That, I think, carries some weight for folks. But uh, I want to, yeah, I, I want to see BYU uh, really be tested, and I think Boise State has the, the ability to do that. Xavier, how do you see this one going? This is a very interesting Friday night matchup game. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. I think this game comes down to what team has got the most continuity. And I, and I think I'm going to lean on BYU because of that. BYU has played uh, – Seven games up until this point, Boise State's only played two. I really think that that's going. I'm sorry, Boise State has only played. Yeah, only played two. For me, that is going to be a big, big deal here because I genuinely think that BYU right now is just rolling on all cylinders. Zach Wilson maybe, uh, maybe should have been the guy that Nick said was going to be the Heisman front runner if his team could go undefeated because he's looked amazing all year. No slight. Dylan Gabriel, he's also looked great. UCF has just not been able to finish. But BYU, for me, being the, the team that's coming in with the more confidence, the better consistency, have been great for the last seven weeks. I don't see that changing on Friday. If anything, I see that they continue this and they win on Friday, beating a good Boise State team, really making a claim outside of Cincinnati for that second or, or the best G5 team in the country at the moment. I like Zach Wilson. My only concern is is that on a big stage, he begins to force it. This is a kid last year who has a really – he has a gunslinger mentality. He trusts his arm a little bit too much. He trusts his athleticism a little too much. And you can tell that in bigger games like last year, when the team didn't necessarily need a big play but needed to get back into the game, he seemed to force it. That would be my only concern with him. 
But if Zach Wilson can stay as composed as he has been all year, I see BYU really winning this game handedly. Do we know if Bachmeyer is playing or not? I'm hearing reports that he's not playing from. We don't know yet. Yeah, yeah. I, I just looked it up. A couple of BY, uh, excuse me, a couple of Boise State outlets say he. We don't. They don't know. It doesn't look like he's. They're going to announce him playing anyways. They won't know until Friday at this point. That causes me a little bit of concern when an offense doesn't know who their quarterback is going to be coming into such a big game. On top of that. I think BYU is going to be preparing for both. But I think BYU, like I said, is just a more confident and consistent team up until this point. And for me, that is why I'm going to I'm going to lean on the side of BYU. I think that the quarterback questions going on at Boise State gives me cause for concern. And even though that they're at, they're at home, I think this is the best team that they've played all year. And to be that in the third game of the season when you've had such turnover, you had your starting quarterback week one, you had your backup week two, and we don't know week three, I'm going to go with BYU on this one and Zach Wilson to keep that train rolling. Yeah, the, the uh, next game that that I have to pick here. By the way, I think I go with BYU in that BYU Boise State game. I just Zach Wilson and, and and the the Storm of Mormons here have just way too much momentum. I feel like so I think they'll uh, I think they'll beat up on Boise State. So, but it should be a, a fun game to watch nonetheless. But I I keep I have a hard time deciding between uh, the game that I want to pick here, the second one, because I, I like this USC and Arizona State game. Uh, yes. Go but, ahead. Okay. All right. So we'll do that one then. Yes. Arizona State and USC. Uh, USC is an 11-point home favorite. Uh, 59 is the over here. I kind of like ASU in this game, though. I, I feel like we've seen crazy stuff happen in these week ones. Uh, you know, we just saw Indiana beat Penn State. Maybe that's not as crazy as uh, we, we thought, but we saw that happen. I would not be shocked to see ASU come away with this win. Uh, and so, Nick, how do you see USC and Arizona State uh, playing out? I know we don't have any information to go off of now, but how do we see this one? Well, it's uh, they're, they're, it's kind of hard for me to peg it down, you know, to peg down exactly how I feel about Arizona State. I, I understand the reason why a lot of folks were very optimistic about uh, Arizona State coming into the, the year, thinking that they really could compete for the Pac-12 South, you know, before we knew that, that you know, before the season was canceled, before we knew what the uh, six-game schedule was, all that, uh, Arizona State was in a lot of folks preseason top 25, uh, you know, around spring practice or, or the early, you know, way too early, all that stuff. Uh, there's chatter about, oh, yeah, they could, you know, uh, Utah being so inexperienced and USC always seemingly a, a disappointment. Uh, Arizona State, yeah, you know, they had such a good true freshman quarterback in Jaden Daniels. Uh, they've really, really elevated the level of talent on the roster under Herm Edwards, which uh, has been a big reason why he's been uh, as success, you know, much more successful, I think, than a lot of folks expected when he was hired. I mean, we all remember uh, all the laughter that was directed toward the Sun Devils when when they brought Herm Edwards out of retirement. And, and uh, you know, it's been relatively, uh, you know, impressive so far. They've been competitive. They have not been, uh, you know, they have not reached that higher level of truly competing for the division, but I understand why there was optimism. Uh, there are some other really smart folks, folks plugged in to the Pac-12 that uh, really kind of saw at the same time 
Arizona State being propped up a bit too much, where some of the underlying statistics just really were not that impressive. Uh, you know, didn't didn't expect that Arizona State really could uh, make that leap that they had. Uh, in, you know, shown improvement over the last couple of years under Herm Edwards, but uh, didn't necessarily see it being able to continue at that same rate to the point there where they would be able to knock off a USC. I, I kind of think that if this game were played later in the year, maybe uh, Arizona State might have a, a little bit better shot, oddly enough. I, I know that there have been some weird things happening in week one, but I think coming in, you know, the, the where this game is being played, oddly enough, makes me a little more confident in USC. And, and maybe that's just because I'm going off of, you know, those, those talent numbers uh, at, at this point, because I haven't seen USC with my own eyes. You know, I, I haven't quite got a firm grasp on how good can they be, how, uh, you know, potentially disappointing can they be because, yeah, I mean, I, I just remember how good Keaton Slovis was as a true freshman. Uh, I, I just look at uh, where they rank from a position standpoint. They have our number three receiver group in the entire country. They have one of the best defensive lines in the entire country. They did lose Jay Tufele, uh, the to potential, you know, uh, early round draft pick at, at uh, you know, on the defensive line, that's a big, big loss. But still, they're one of the best defensive lines in the country, even with Tufele out, according to our numbers. Uh, the, the secondary ranks third in the country, uh, according to our numbers. Arizona State, interestingly enough, ranks number one. But uh, this is a team with at certain positions, at least, elite, elite talent. And oddly enough, I think our numbers actually underrate Keaton Slovis just a little bit. He's an 89 on our, uh, you know, up to 100 schedule uh, for VGR Plus, our individual player rating. So I think Slovis, the way he played last year, you know, is, is actually even better than that. I might think that he's a 95 type type player. So there's actually even a little bit of room for growth in our uh, overall power ranking for USC. They come in number 12 in the country and our highest rated uh, Pac-12 team. So on a neutral field, we would have USC favored over every uh, Pac-12 team. Arizona State ranks 41st in our in our uh, power rankings. And, and that seems about right to me. I don't think they're a top 25 team. I do think they are a dangerous team. I think they are a talented team. They are going to have to rely on a lot of true freshmen, the running back position. There's a lot of guys to really be excited about long-term uh, receivers as well. But I, I just don't know that they're there yet. I think the secondary will be very, very good. I think the linebacker, uh, unit and, and you know the defensive line they're top 30 uh, position by position at every level of, of the defense so uh, 28th defensive line 29 at, at linebacker but they're relying on so many true freshmen on the offensive side of the ball and you know as much as I like Keaton Slovis and I, I also like Jaden Daniels I think I I think the potential for a sophomore slump if one of these guys is going to slump the odds are higher it would be Daniels. I don't know if I have a lot of uh, real evidence to back that up. I just I, I just feel a little more comfortable in Slovis, if that makes sense. So uh, I, I think I feel good about USC, and I, I feel good that our numbers, at least our official number, 
uh, is pretty heavy on USC. We see them as closer to a uh, two-touchdown favorite. Talent edge, we expect they'd be favored by 10 points. Uh, our stats-only model would be only seven uh, in that, you know, this being a double-digit point spread is probably very enticing to folks, especially, you know, who think that Arizona State has a lot of upside. But I, similar to, to like I said, with uh, Florida, if I were to have to have to be on one side, I, I'm more comfortable on the side uh, that our numbers are on. So uh, I, I, I like USC to win this game to cover. I like our final score prediction. It, it might be maybe on the tiny uh, bit of the, the you know low scoring side, but we've got 35-21. So we do have it hitting the, the under there, but um, I could see it going maybe a touchdown more on, on either side. But uh, I, I like that we're on USC and, and I do like USC to cover here. Yeah, I mean, that you know, Xavier, Nick made a, a great point of talking about, you know, we kind of we, we were kind of laughing about Herm Edwards getting this job to start. And I think he's done a great job in, of mainly being the recruiter and letting the coordinators uh, make the game plan and stuff. But he's in there as well. I mean, it, you know, he's on TV all the time because he's got a lot of friends at ESPN. So uh, we, we do see Herm a, a bunch. But uh, I, I mean. I think there is a clear talent gap in USC's favor, but I think you can say that for all of the big, the Pac-12, excuse me, and um, uh, for USC versus anybody else. And I don't know. Uh, we've seen a bunch of crazy stuff happen. That's why I kind of like ASU this week. Uh, I'm definitely being a homer too. I just see a lot of the stuff covered uh, as far as ASU goes. But you and I both are huge Jane Daniels fans, Xavier. So how do you see this one going? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of sick and tired of the whole USC narrative. I, I feel like every year we come into this, we, we talk about how talented USC is and how well they do on the recruiting trail and how many guys are going to be first, second, third round draft picks. And every year they go eight and four. And we're just like, well, interesting. All that talent has not translated into victories. And I think that's just simply because I there is a – since – Pete Carroll left. There has been a constant disconnect between their ability to recruit and their ability to turn those recruits into top-tier talent. And I, and I, and I once again, this is where I lean on a guy like Keaton Slovis. I don't know how good he actually is. I know how good his receivers are, though. You know, Nick, you, you kind of hit it on the head. You were saying, I, I don't know if he'll go through a sophomore slump or not. My biggest reason why I don't think he will is because of guys like Tyler Vaughn and, and the receivers he has on the outside where it's like, if you can't throw to these guys, well, who can you throw to at, at this rate? And and that's why I do like USC in this ball game. Is I just think from on a first game, if we're, first game of the season, we're pretty much going strictly based off of talent. I'm expecting guys like Tyler Vaughns and Keaton Slovis to be able to connect on all cylinders, you know. And, and I really think that they have the ability. To, to take the top off of a defense. We saw it last year in the Utah game where they took a defense that was really good all year and just said, we're going to throw the football up and make your short DB stop us, and they couldn't do it. And Keaton Slovis' is, uh, coming out party, really. Uh, as much as I love Jaden Daniels, I think Nick once again hit it right on the head. He's a sophomore with a bunch of freshmen around him. It's going to be really tough for him as opposed to last year where he had a lot of guys who had been in the program for a while that could assist in, in, in helping him out, you know, when, you know, when you have senior leading receivers that can assist in running uh, the, the proper routes and making your bad throws even look good, that helps. 
it's going to be a lot more responsibility on Jaden Daniels to be a a better quarterback than he was last year. I don't know if he necessarily takes that step. Um, he's got a lot of the press that Sam Howell guy, and we see we've seen how Sam Howell has struggled throughout the year as well, and how UNC has struggled, and they got similar press. Um, for me, I'm going to go with USC on this one. I'm going to believe in the talent for one more year. If they if they if they lose this game, I'm done. Next year, I, I'm, I'm done. I, the, the talent metric. Because continuously, I'm, I'm just waiting for USC to finally allow that talent to be good enough to win the Pac-12. And they haven't been in a very long time. As much as I do love Jaden Daniels, like you said, Scott, I think USC's talent will just be a little bit too much first game of the season. Um, as much as I love Jaden Daniels, I hope he has a great game. But I think Keaton Slovis, Tyler Vons, and, and especially that front seven for USC, which finally is something I can lean on. I'm hoping that they can go ahead and get the job done and the talent metrics finally work in USC's favor in a year where I expect him to compete for the Pac-12 alongside Oregon. All right, so in this game, we're going to be looking for not number 96, Anthony Cooper. It's one of my best friend's stepsons is playing for ASU. So look for not, number 96 on ASU. Look for Anthony Cooper. Uh, getting a little run. He's had a couple articles written about him too. So uh, ex excited for that. Just a personal connection there. So uh, Xavier, you're up for your second game. Oh, yeah. And we're going to head back to the Big Ten, uh, Michigan, Indiana. Harbaugh. I'm glad you picked it because that's the other game I wanted. Yes. So very Harbaugh, nice. I'm looking at you. It's not <laughs> you got to figure it out. You know, I've never seen a team go from looking so great against a Minnesota team that we thought was going to be pretty good, at least offensively coming into this year, be so pedestrian against an offense in Michigan State that explosive in Michigan State don't go in the same sentence and haven't been in the same sentence for years. You know, and, I, and I'm really – concerned about that, that they could not stop their passing game, especially deep balls uh, on the sideline. Their corners had trouble all day uh, stopping Naylor and company. It was really worrisome for them that uh, Lombardi was been able to throw the ball and sling it around, you know, and, and you're now facing a team with Michael Penix, who has consistently thrown the ball really well in this first two matchups and a very underrated, stingy Indiana defense that not only picked off Sean Clifford twice, but also picked off uh, Rutgers quarterback twice last week as well. And, and it has made life difficult for the quarterback position in which the team that they're facing. Uh, I, I'm really – I like Indiana a lot in this game, and it's really because I do not like the offense that Michigan has been able to, uh, to bring to the table so far. It's really based – solely on how well they can run the football and how well they can control the clock. They struggled doing that last week, which is the reason why Milton had to throw 51 times, which you guys know how I feel about throwing the ball that many times. <laughs> Anyways, it's just I don't think that Michigan's offense has consistently been able to produce in what they need to. I don't know the last time we had a great Michigan running back. Was it Mike Hart? Was that the last time that Michigan was able to run the football effectively? And well, was the last time that one got used on a consistent yeah. basis was Mike Hart for sure. Now they're giving everybody eight carries, nine carries, and none of those RBs can get in a rhythm. It's painful to watch on occasion. Right, and it, and it shows because they lose games like against Michigan State where in all intents and purposes, they probably should have won that ball game However, they could not finish drives. They couldn't win on third down. They couldn't win in between the tackles. You know, and it's once again, it's concerning because they have the talent to do so. You expect a team like Michigan 
to be able to win up front. You, you know, they're, they're one of the top 10 recruiters every single year, yet it never, it's not been able to translate. And you have, and you're playing an Indiana team that is confident as heck right now, ranked as high as they've been in my lifetime, I think. And, and is going to try to continue that kind of, you know, has been able to run the football well, you know, and I, and I really think that Indiana is going to continue on with this winning mentality. I don't see Michigan been, being able to all of a sudden switch this light bulb on offensively, especially in the passing game where they've struggled so far. I, I just don't know where, if anywhere, Michigan wins this ball game offensively. I think defensively Michigan can hold Indiana to enough points to where their offense can play pedestrian, play right above average, and still win a ball game. However, Offensively, if this becomes a shootout, which Indiana has shown the ability to score 35-plus points a game in the last two games, obviously, if that's where it goes to, Michigan's going to lose this game. They cannot run the table with Indiana. This game is going to have to be kept close. Michigan's defense is going to have to play lights out like it did against Minnesota. And with all of those ifs, I'm still going to give Indiana the win here. I think Indiana moves to 3-0. I think it's, it's going to have to be a close one, but I think Michael Penix and company gets the job done. Yeah, I mean, uh, Xavier, if if Indiana wins, does Harbaugh make it to the next weekend? Who? Um, his seat has got to be on fire. I, I I mean, here's the schedule, just to give you an idea. If he loses to Indiana, where do you think Michigan gets their next win? So they play Indiana this week. They have Wisconsin next week. I don't know if they win there. Then they play Rutgers. They probably win there. Depending on what Penn State looks like on the 28th of November, that's a question mark. Maryland, they win there, and then they finish with Ohio State. We, If they lose to Indiana this week, we're looking at a four-win Michigan team possibly. And, if, and uh, I bet you that Wisconsin game still has a chance to get canceled. Right. So uh, so their wins uh, you know, might be few and far between here. So. If they finish four and six, three and seven, he's got to get out of there. I mean, the khaki pants have got to be in flames at that point. <laughs> I, you know, I, I just don't see – Michigan, when you look at their schedule, you look at a team that really are, are, are pulling at straws on where they're going to find victories against these programs that are, that are able to translate. They might not have the talent, but they're able to translate W's, which is something Michigan has not been able to do in Harbaugh's tenure consistently. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Nick, how do you see this game going between uh, Indiana and Michigan? I mean, uh, Michigan just hasn't played great. So I had to, uh, I missed a little bit of, of Xavier's explanation here. So you, you have to uh, bear with me. I, I had to <laughs> unfortunately restart my computer so I didn't have to completely wing it uh, on this. But I'm pretty sure on what I gathered that I completely disagree with just about everything that's up. <laughs> so I only heard the last five seconds but <laughs> with everything that Xavier said vehemently, but yeah, it's, I, it's, I it. it's not my fault because Michigan <laughs> is one of those teams that, you know, comes up in this conversation. We have a little bit of this conversation. It seems like every week we've had it already this week with USC. They're a team that, ranks really, really highly in a lot of the talent metrics that we have. And obviously they've had some disappointing results where they haven't always played up to that level. And and so I don't always love it when uh, this happens uh, according, you know, for our numbers, but this is the first game, oddly enough, that we've uh, talked about so far where everything does line up uh, to, to where I feel pretty strong, you know, or at least our numbers 
uh, see a pretty strong, uh, you know, there's a pretty strong indicator here that Michigan should be favored, that Michigan should be favored by more than a touchdown. And this is a, a three point uh, spread the last time uh, I, I saw it. I think that that's, uh, I think you might have said it, Scott, earlier that that, that was uh, seemingly still the case. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, this is a game that Michigan should win. Michigan is clearly the more talented team, even though they're inexperienced, even though they had a really, really rough game against Michigan State. And even though the Minnesota win does not look as impressive as it did on the night because uh, Minnesota looked so, so poor, especially defensively last week against Maryland. So I understand the reasoning. I, I certainly get not wanting to be on Michigan this week, but other similar conversations we've had, you know, sometimes I kind of like it when uh, a team disappoints in one week, you know, if we're going to lose a game, fine, have, have Michigan lose as a 24, 24 point favorite, because then maybe the market actually gives us a little bit of value on Michigan from that point forward. Michigan's a 12 point favorite, according to our official model, talent only model. Uh, Michigan is favored by roughly a touchdown. And that's a pretty inexperienced Michigan team going up against a really experienced Indiana team. I mean, Michael Penix Jr. Uh, has been a starter in parts of two seasons coming into this year. Stevie Scott, one of the best running backs in the Big Ten. Walt Fillier, Ty, uh, Ty Freigoyle, uh, Peyton Hendershot, two of the, you know, or three, if we're looking for a, a wide receiver uh, tight end combination, you know, one of the best in, in the Big Ten. But uh, Michigan is deeper at just about every other position, I think. I, I think I saw enough maybe from Joe Milton the first two weeks that I, I think that he's going to be uh, good enough to put Michigan in a, a chance, you know, in a, a position to win more often than not. I don't think I agree that even if Indiana were to somehow, uh, you know, win this game, not that it would be the, the upset of the century, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think I agree that Jim Harbaugh's seat is is all that hot. I mean, yeah, he gets a, a lot of uh, attention. He gets a lot of, uh, you know, his, his job status gets called into question a lot. Is he worth the money? Is he, you know, worth this level of status that he's got? I, I understand the conversation, but I, I think that, you know, he probably would survive this this uh, as a loss and, and might even survive a 500 record this year. But, uh, you know, anyway, but the, the, the more important thing, what's going to happen this week, our numbers like Michigan. They like them pretty clearly. Um, we have them uh, in, in our stats only model. It's tighter, but it's still uh, closer to a touchdown than a field goal. So uh, we've got a final score prediction on this of 34-21. And uh, hopefully that means that, you know, we, we got a little bit of a discount on Michigan because they uh, slipped up and, and lost a tough rivalry game uh, in, you know, to an in-state rival last week. So um, it, it's, it's, I understand, I, I certainly understand that Michigan is somebody or is a team that has not lived up to its potential. I understand that Jim Harbaugh has not maybe lived up to his potential or what we thought Michigan would be at this point in his tenure, but Michigan's the more talented team. Uh, they have a, a, a better 
uh, set of, uh, you know, a, a full coaching staff, I think, as a whole. Uh, if you look at offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, uh, I feel pretty confident in Michigan. And, and I certainly have been wrong plenty. Uh, but but this is one of the games I think I feel uh, best about the way our numbers line up this week. And, and when we do see a really clear indication of who should be favored, I, I, I feel good about Michigan be, uh, winning this game by more than the field goal. All right, you're up uh, for the last game of the day. What are you picking, Nick? All right, as as uh, Kent State is whooping up uh, early on Eastern Michigan, Akron is is uh, beating Western Michigan. I, I don't know. I, I, I am I tempted to uh, to go with uh, you know a group of five, a bit of flavor, keep it going after BYU and, and Boise State. And last week we talked about. Uh, Georgia State and, and Coastal Carolina. And don't talk about Georgia State again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm 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 tempted to uh, I, I'm tempted to to go with Cincinnati and Houston, but we've been so enamored, I think, with the way that Cincinnati is played. How about we talk about Liberty and Virginia? Yes, that about, game I yes. like. I like that one. Yeah. How yeah, about yeah. we How about we do that one? Well, Liberty's so, ranked right now, aren't 25. they? Twenty five. Liberty yes. is ranked. They are a 14-and-a-half-point underdog, ah. which very interestingly, and, and I, I didn't, I, I didn't uh, do the proper research I should have uh, ahead of time, but I, I caught a bit of a note uh, by uh, Chris Felico the Bear on, on ESPN's College Game Day last week was talking about you know teams that are, are underdogs, uh, on the road as a, a ranked team playing a non-ranked team uh, last week. Uh, and who, who was it? My mind just went completely blank. Anyway, so it was because uh, Kansas State. Kansas State was yeah. an underdog as a ranked team last week. And it's something, you know, that there's there are huge trends to show that there's obviously a very good reason for a ranked team to be an underdog against an unranked team. Well, we very rarely see it. I don't know what, you know, what the the trend is on a team that's a more than a two touchdown underdog as a ranked team against an unranked <laughs> opponent. Uh, but it's got to be there's obviously a reason and and you know, as far as our numbers are concerned, the reason is that Liberty just from a pure talent standpoint does not stack up. Uh, Virginia Tech, if if talent were the only thing we were looking at, should be closer to a three touchdown favorite. Uh, our number is 19.2 for the talent edge on uh, on Virginia Tech side here. But what gets really, really interesting, things tighten up very, very quickly when we turn to the stats only model. Liberty's been very impressive. Uh, similar to BYU, the level of competition is not good. Uh, this is Liberty's really only shot until that potential ranked versus ranked matchup against Coastal Carolina at the end of the season uh, <laughs> that we all expected. Uh, but this, this you know, really could be their best shot. They do, of course, play NC State uh, in a couple of weeks. But, uh, it, you know, if they're really going to make some noise, this is the, the premier game. This is a tough road environment. Virginia Tech, well-known, is, is uh, you know, one of the, the best home field advantages, best stadium atmospheres. Of course, this year, that's less of a, uh, a, a, a uh, an advantage, as we've uh, talked about before with, with other folks. But Virginia Tech, 
you know, as, as talented as they are, has not played as well on the field as Liberty has. Liberty is posting a team performance rating of 95. So that that's, you know, in competition uh, to be a top 10 team. Offensively, they have been incredibly, incredibly impressive. Malik Willis has been amazing as a quarterback, the Auburn transfer who I know, you know, I've, I've heard some, uh, some whispers and maybe some some not so whispers uh, from folks that oh maybe Auburn uh, should have tried a little bit harder to keep Malik Willis and and uh, turn it over to to him other than Bo Nix because he's played phenomenally. Uh, but I mean, you if know. you're talking about John Lobb talking about that, it's definitely not whispers. So <laughs> right, right, for sure. <laughs> uh, but you know, Liberty Liberty is, has put a, a, a almost ninety five. Uh, team performance rating offensively, which ranks ninth in the country. They're ninth overall because their defense has played in a top 15 level. So uh, very impressed so far with Liberty, but this is the competition. Western Kentucky, who's much worse than we thought they were going to be. Uh, FIU, who I, I know that some people have, th- uh, have said might have the worst offense in college football. North Alabama, ULM, in my opinion, the worst team in college football. Syracuse. Right now, given Kansas and, and Vanderbilt a, a run for their money is the worst uh, power five team in, in college football. So, you know, Virginia Tech, this is a big, big step up in uh, competition. And, you know, I, I, I look at that talent edge number and I'm a little bit nervous that our team performance rating, which is right now doing a, a, a lot of work, might be pulling this a little too close. I, I mentioned, oh, I, I kind of like that we're on Florida. I like that we're on USC. I don't really love it, but we're on Liberty. Uh, our stats-only model has Liberty keeping this within a touchdown. Our official projection is actually even closer. It's Virginia Tech only favored by five. That's a pretty big edge. That's only almost a double-digit difference between uh, the uh, you know the odds makers, the market, and what our number is. And, and usually I really like when that happens, but as I said before, there's a reason an unranked team is a more than two touchdown favorite uh, against a ranked opponent, Virginia tech. They're kind of a little bit of a, a Jekyll and Hyde team this year. They have really, really struggled to stop teams uh, from running the football and Liberty has done a, a really good job running the football. Uh, personally, I think Hendon Hooker is going to have success as a running quarterback for Virginia Tech. I think Khalil Herbert is going to be able to put up some good numbers like we've seen from him this year. And I think that the, the defense that hasn't really played up to its level of potential right now, Virginia Tech has a 72 uh, and a half rating defensively for us, which ranks 89th out of the 103 teams. But Virginia Tech has played, you know, not, not, uh, uh, they haven't played the New York Giants every week, but they've played, you know, NC State, Duke, North Carolina, Boston College, Wake Forest, Louisville. They've played a, a power five team yeah. each week, and some of those offenses have been really quite good. Louisville, who's the worst uh, team on North that Carolina? Schedule? Probably Duke. Probably it, Duke. It, it, I, I might have said the best team on Liberty's schedule so far. Uh, the uh, Syracuse. Probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So, uh, and, and yeah, so I and I think Syracuse is the worst of those two teams. So yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, the, the, so the, I, the don't line up the same at all. Yeah. So I, I 
you know, I don't love it. We're on Liberty and we see a pretty big edge, uh, but I like to be, you know, honest with folks when, when I don't necessarily agree with, with the numbers, we go with the numbers officially and, and that's our, our pick, but I could see Virginia tech kind of making a statement here. Yeah. Xavier, this is uh this is going to be a real fun matchup and this is going to show whether Liberty is a legit team that should be ranked or not. So I think this is going to be a real fun game to watch, but I think my expectations and most people's expectations, which is why, uh, you know, uh, they're favored by uh, 15 is that Vatek rolls in this game. So do you have a difference in that opinion? Give me Liberty. Yeah, you did straight up. Me, yes. Danny, Hugh Freeze Jr. and Liberty are going to I was, say I was people. muted, but I said, or what? You said, give me Liberty. I said, or what? <laughs> <laughs> or death, yes. Or death, yeah, yeah. Or, or a Tennessee win. Which is did you get it? Did did yeah, everybody I, out yeah, there yeah, get the joke? Yeah, you got mm-hmm. it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Nick is becoming a dad more and more by the day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> give me liberty. I, I I have no reason not to pick them at this point. They continue to roll. The offense continues to put up really good numbers. Yes, you can give the quote unquote. They haven't played anybody, but Virginia Tech loses to everybody that is somebody. So. What's the difference at this point? I just want to see utter chaos. Virginia Tech was ranked two weeks ago. They're no longer ranked. I wish this was a ranked versus ranked matchup. I really do. That would be just fun for all of college football. I think Hugh Freeze is is re, is bolstering his job uh, security right now and, and bolstering his market. He's got to be one of the hottest college uh, football uh, coaches in college football at this point for uh, a P5 team in the next couple of years if he can keep this up at Liberty, especially with the win like against Virginia Tech this week. And I don't see why not. I think this is going to be a shootout. I don't think Virginia Tech can keep up with Liberty. I, I didn't think I would ever say that. But I, I think Virginia Tech's defense has been porous against everybody this year. And Liberty's offense continues to put up points. So if you're asking me which one do I think is going to stop first, Liberty not putting up points or Virginia Tech getting a stop or two, I'm going to take Liberty. Uh, you know, And I'm, I'm going to take the team that's proven to me that they can score. I'm not going to take the team that hasn't proved to me that they can get a stop. So I'm, I'm going to take Liberty for the win here. Liberty moves, continues to be undefeated, and the ACC gets another knock against him as being a competitive conference. It's a win-win situation for me, if you ask me. I, uh, I'm i legit surprised by, <laughs> by that thing. So I'm not surprised that, uh, you know, our numbers would say uh, that the line should not be 15, but I don't know. Maybe I'm a big dummy, but I'm I'm going to roll with the public, and I think Vatek rolls in this so game. Liberty. Right? Uh, I, I mean, I hope I'm wrong. It would be nice to see a G5 team upset Vatek and, and, and all that, but I just, I don't see it happening. So, uh, but before we get out of here, Nick, tell us about the all three agree. Oh uh, yeah. So uh, this, this week I, I kind of had a, a little bit of a rush, you know, getting all these together. So I don't know if I've had a, enough time to really uh, let it all sink in how I feel about them all, but uh, we, we talked about Boise State. I, I do feel decent about that. Boise State plus three. Uh, I, I feel uh, decent about Michigan minus three, though, you know, maybe I'm the big dummy on that one. Uh, you know, obviously when, when a big blue blood program like that is is uh, not as uh, big of a favorite as, as our numbers might indicate, there's probably a reason somebody might know something that we don't know. But uh, other games where we agree, 
uh, just very quickly. Temple plus 17 and a half. Yeah. Uh, Rachman Davis, the running back, has transferred. That our number does uh, take that into account, but we still think Temple can keep it within two touchdowns for the most part. Uh, we actually are on Texas minus six and a half. Uh, we've talked before about our all three degrees really don't often go to favorites. Uh, and last week it did not work well with North Carolina. The previous week it worked very, very well with Notre Dame. This could be a bit of a tiebreaker here, uh, but we're on Texas minus six and a half against West Virginia. Uh, Georgia Southern, we think, should be favored outright against Troy. Houston plus 13 and a half. Uh, we also think UTSA should be favored against Rice. Rice is always a little bit tricky, but I uh, think that UTSA is the more talented team and, and really just the best team there uh, as well. Illinois plus seven, Texas Tech plus nine, UNLV plus 11. Don't like that. Have not been impressed with UNLV so far this year, but uh, that's what the numbers say. I never, ever this year would have thought uh, this would come out of my mouth, but Vanderbilt plus 19. <laughs> uh, we're, we're on Vanderbilt this week. They've been, uh, I don't know if I mentioned it on here, but my, my personal largest position of the season is on Vanderbilt uh, to, to finish with uh, fewer than one and a half wins. And my second largest personal position is Vanderbilt to finish with fewer than one win. So uh, I am rooting against Vanderbilt every week, but hey, if they can keep it within 19, <laughs> that'd be great. Uh, Louisiana Tech plus two. We're always on Louisiana Tech. Uh, Rutgers plus thirty-eight. We our plus numbers 30, tried, right? tried their tried their best to get Ohio State uh, over that, but I think we settled on thirty-six. So plus thirty-eight. Sure, why not? Uh, uh, South Alabama plus eighteen. Maybe a hidden talent advantage there, according to our numbers, against Coastal Carolina, who uh, obviously has has been extraordinary this year. A lot of fun to watch, but uh, we're on South Alabama maybe for the first time this year. We've been kind of fading South Alabama. Uh, Louisville, we think, should be favored. Uh, they're plus three. Washington State should be favored, we think. They're plus one and a half at Oregon State. New Mexico, plus 16. I hate uh, rooting against my uh, Rainbow Warriors, but there we go. And then probably the, the weirdest, weirdest line of the week for me, and, and I should have maybe brought this up uh, instead of Liberty Virginia Tech, though it seems like that was a hit with you guys. Uh, Washington, we think Washington should be favored by more than a touchdown in all three of our ratings, and they are an underdog against Cal. Uh, there is some buzz for Cal, similar things, you know, there, there's been a conversation over the course of the off season, uh, where everybody, you know, maybe is over, overhyping Arizona state underhyping, uh, Cal, but you know, we, we think Washington's a top 25 team and uh, should clearly, clearly be favored. Talent-wise, these teams aren't even close. Yeah, Cal is is uh, a team that does consistently play at a higher level. Yeah, Washington's got a first-time, first-year head coach. Yeah, they've got a lot of turnover. We don't know which of their four, five, or six quarterbacks they're going to uh, start in this game or, or play, but Washington should be favoring this game, I think. They might lose it. They lost last year. But yeah. we think Washington pretty clearly uh, it, it should be favored in this game by closer to a touchdown. So uh, that's our biggest edge of the week. It's probably going to be wrong, but there you go. Cal seems to jump up and bite a couple teams at least once, twice a year. So yeah, for uh, sure. Uh, and I so I understand liking them going into this game, but I also get you know there's. Uh, a couple teams in the Pac-12 that, in general, usually have more talent, 
those being USC, Oregon, and Washington. Those are the three, as of recent history, that uh, seemingly always have the most talent on their roster. But that is going to wrap it up for us. Uh, good luck on all your bets. Hope you guys enjoyed the action back on Wednesday night. Uh, it obviously was a lot of fun. Boy, w- weren't those games all wild, fellas? Those were some wild games because we've definitely seen them and aren't watching them currently. So, uh, But uh, that is going to wrap it up for us. Remember, you can follow us on the Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. And we'll see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. You can support this podcast on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge and pledge as little as $5 per month to support the show and receive access to written content each week, including our matchup graphics, talent edge projections, and winners, all published before the podcast each week.